Hello, I'm Brett Terpstra, and you're listening to Systematic. This week's episode is brought to you by PDF Pen and Upstart.com. My guest this week is Patrick Roan. It's been uh, since about 2016 since you've been on. Yeah, what a, was- how would you introduce <laughs> yourself these days? Oh, geez. Um, well, I guess I'm still a, a writer. Um, I am still a blogger. I am still a technology consultant. Uh, I am uh, still uh, very uh, deeply involved in um, uh, mental health as a uh, as a passion um, and uh, and an advocate and uh, and a um, you know mental illness survivor myself um, and. Uh, I also have found I'm now in the home restoration game, uh, where, where, uh, I, uh, my wife and I have long been an interest in, in property ownership and whatnot, but now I'm, we are actively like, like looking for properties to purchase and to fix up and to then sell. But one at a time. Yeah, <laughs> at least I'm trying to hold her. To one <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you have uh, you have you've journaled your uh, your kind of uh, progress through at least one home now. How many how many homes yeah. have you done? Well, well, so this really started back in 2011. We bought a house for seventy two hundred dollars. Wow. Um, and that was all in closing costs and everything, $7,200. Um, and, but it was a category two vacant building, i.e. what that means is, uh, you know, the, the city, the city had listed it as a vacant building and there are certain things that had to be done within a certain period of time in order to purchase this property. Um, you had to pledge to get these things done in that period of time. Um, and, uh, uh kind of had to be done, you know, well, um, <laughs> you know, was going to be inspected and city was going to be watching and that sort of thing. Um, and so, uh, and so, yeah, $7,200 and we, the nice thing about buying a home that needs a lot of work um, is that, uh, especially for very little money, is that you can kind of learn how to do a lot of this stuff by diving in and trying it and screwing it up <laughs> and and trying again. Um, because, well, you know, what do you have to lose? You sure. know, it's only $7,200. So if you make a $500 mistake, well, you know, hey. You're you're still way ahead, um, and so uh, and so yeah, we uh, we still own that house. Uh, it is currently uh, the one that my the one my dad lives in, um, uh, and we kind of bought it with that in mind, with the idea that hey, one of our parents may need may need some help 
you know, coming up, they're not getting any younger and, you know, who knows, they might, you know, need a place to be and, you know, at, a, at an affordable price or maybe even no price at all. And we may need to you know put them up somewhere and we'd rather not have them live with us. So, sure, sure. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we kind of bought it with that purpose in mind, but we live in an 1886 uh, Victorian home. And so that uh, my wife purchased in 1993 as a HUD home. Um, and and so once again, uh, it was in major disrepair. Got it very cheap. Uh, she and uh, and Mister Gladhill Number One uh, put a lot of time into it, fixing it up, and then uh, they divorced. And then when I came into the scene, uh, you know, we continued on projects around here. So, um, like I've watched you like gut uh, some of these homes that you've worked on. Have you done the same to your own home? Uh, well, I mean, certainly two rooms, uh, in, in my, in the home and, and really with, with the, the one I'm working on now, you know, we're, we're gutting rooms, right. That need to be, that need to be gutted. Um, you know, but there, and the nice thing about the house we're doing now is that there's only really, really three of those rooms that really need that kind of gutting. The rest of everything else is pretty okay. And it's going to be mostly, you know, mostly kind of clean up and cosmetic stuff, but, um, but certainly with the, with the new one. Um, but, but yeah, certainly in this one, um, the room that is currently our library um, had a, uh, you know, the plaster literally falling off the walls. And it was, I mean, it was, it was, it was pretty bad, you know? Um, and, uh, same with, uh, what is currently, um, our mine and my wife's bedroom, similar sort of thing. I mean, it was, you know, crack plaster, everything, everywhere. And, uh, you know, just the original, the, the pine floors, um, because it was not, it was not an unusual, um, cost-saving measure in Victorian times to um, uh, put a fair bit of money into the public spaces in the home, i.e. the first floor, um, you know, and the dining room and the living room and the parlor and that sort of thing. Um, And then not put as much money into the second floor sure in the non-public spaces um and so uh it was not unusual uh, we'd like to think oh they you know had these beautiful hardwood floors throughout that was not the case with a lot of victorian homes those nice floors on the second floor were usually added later yeah um and uh, originally were just a um um pine or 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 um or alder or poplar poplar was very um uh, very uh, popular choice um for uh, for floors and it was just kind of standard plank flooring that then they would put um um a floor cloth over um which was um basically think of it like um like carpeting except it was it's kind of the midpoint between carpeting and a rug it's essentially a rug that um that you tack down to the floor um, so, um, it would take up the whole, the whole room, the whole space, but it would just be tacked down all, along the edges. As, and it would usually as be, opposed to glued as opposed to glued. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and that's usually what you would find on the second floor of, of many, uh, middle-class Victorian homes. 
Um, and that's your history lesson for the day. <laughs> I, gotta, I also be- benefit from the fact that my wife's master's degree is in historic preservation. So that's how I know about that does this. help. I got to ask about this powder room. You posted a picture of a three foot by 10 foot room where the yeah. toilet was positioned on the long wall. Yeah. So you basically you had like a foot. It was like being on an airplane. Yes. Where what? you literally like walk in and like you couldn't close the door like behind you. Like as you like you had to walk in, step to the side, close the door and then use the toilet. Otherwise, you just used it with the door open. Yeah. That one. <laughs> Did you fix that? Um, uh, well, we're on, we're on the road to fixing that. Um, yeah, yeah. We're going to move it down towards, towards the, uh, towards the end of that room. But, but uh, that also speaks to a lot of the progressions that have happened. Um, and that, that is part of a house's history too, right? Is the, is those sorts of changes. And so, um, from what we can tell, that room used to be part of where the kitchen was originally and where the door to the kitchen was originally um, is actually on the other side of the, you know, the far short wall of that, of that room. And it's been turned into a built-in in in the dining room, but that built-in didn't used to be there. It used to be a door into that room, which was the kitchen. Um, Oftentimes kitchens in Victorian homes were relatively small. Um, you know, it wasn't like today where, oh, you know, I need all this room and counter space and open concept and all of this other sure. stuff. It, you know, it, I mean, it, it was a utilitarian room. It was for one thing, and that was for your maid to cook. Yeah. Um, you know, and quite frankly, you know, you weren't going to make it very nice because that's your maid's, you know, your your maid doesn't care. You know, she's coming in and she's cooking. Sure. Um, and so... Uh, and so, yeah, uh, over time uh, and changes, the kitchen moved to a different location. It, it, that that what is now that powder room, as I call it, uh, was probably a pantry for a while uh, after that. After it got closed off, and only later in life, probably sometime from what I can guess in the seventies, nineteen seventies, it got turned into a bathroom. So you've been, uh, I, I think of you as a tools guy, even if uh, you have kind of roots in, in minimalism, but you're very opinionated about your tools and oh, yeah. you've been, oh, yeah. you've been documenting these, uh, these homes and these restorations. What tools have you been using to document? Um, well, uh, you know, besides keeping, um, keeping the blog. Um, I, I'm keeping the blog on my progress there for a very specific reason, which I'm going to get to. Um, but I've been using micro.blog for that. Um, for those that aren't familiar with it, micro.blog is actually kind of hard to describe. Uh, take a take take a blogging system, tie it together with a social network, and you start to get an idea of kind of what micro.blog is. Um, micro.blog uh, is an excellent uh, way to post to uh, a blog, especially kind of short form and medium form posts. Um, 
uh, to a blog, and they will happily host your blog. But it also works with WordPress uh, as well. So you can host your own WordPress blog and kind of tie it into micro.blog. But then there's kind of this social network aspect to it, too, where a very Twitter-like kind of experience, except for um, your your posts to that social network are actually posts to your blog as well, if that makes sense. Yeah. Not the replies, but the but the original posts are posts to your blog. And so I like to think of it as like, uh, you know, at, at least in my case where, where um, you know, in some instances, you know, because I have two micro.blog things. Uh, I've got my main blog, which is patrickrone.net, but then I've, and that is on WordPress. Um, and then I've got uh, Woe to Wow, which is my, the blog I've been keeping for the home restoration stuff, and that's actually hosted on microblog. So I, I get to see and try both experiences. And the thing I like about it is just like you get to have comments and conversation around the things that you post, except you don't have to host your own comment system and deal with all the spam. Sure. <laughs> uh, which is fantastic. Um, so uh, if you go to woe to wow, W H O A T O W O W, that is. Hosted on microblog. Um, I'm using uh, if this then that, um, you know, little free service that can pipe one thing to another thing. Um, as long as it's using a flexible open format or API for doing so, um, to pipe all of those posts I post to Woe to Wow into a journal in my day one application day one being a journaling piece of journaling software yeah um but what i love about day one amongst the many things i love about day one it's just a really elegantly beautifully designed app um uh, that you can easily pipe things into uh, using if this then that or other ways too um is that it also has a feature built in where you can print a book out of it. And so I use this in a couple of ways, but I'm just going to describe the way in which I intend to use it for this. All of those posts about the Hague House, which is what I call that project because it's on Hague Avenue in St. Paul, um, uh, all of the posts about the Hague House go into a journal in my day one called Hague House. And when I am done with the project um, and we're ready to put the house on the market, I'm going to print off three books um, of that journal. Uh, one of them is going to be for me, you know, for my own memories and safekeeping and, you know, just a record of my, my life because so much of my life right now, so many hours of my, of my days are actually being poured into um, rehabbing this house. Um, number two, I'm going to print off a copy for my friend Jason, who I've hired to help me with a lot of the stuff with this house because, well, you know, picking up a 12 foot green treated two by eights by yourself, uh, is, sure. is, is, is no joke. And so you actually have to have somebody else on hand to help you with a lot of this stuff. So I'm going to print off a copy from him because he's, he's been a tremendous help, but I'm also going to print off a copy to go with the house. And I'm going to make clear to the, to the new owners that, that, that copies for the house. 
um, so that even if they don't keep the house, don't live it for the rest of their life, which I really hope they do. Um, and I'm really working hard to make it the sort of place that someone could see themselves in forever. Um, that when they go to sell it, they will pass that book along with the house so that people can see basically the before and after. Sure. But also I'm kind of doing a fairly good job of documenting like, Here's how we've done the put the subfloor in in the kitchen. And here's, you know, we had to, you know, use floor jacks to provide stability underneath this section of floor so it wasn't uh, so squishy because it was it was beginning to dip. You know, and then we had to cut custom shims to go underneath the the floorboards and that other people may have just like you know, patched it up with just some junk. You know, that we actually worked hard uh, to to get, uh, you know, to, to make it really nice and to do it right and to do it in a way that makes sense. Right. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, hey, they want to make a change down the road. They want to like, you know, they can like even if they don't do the work themselves, they can show the people they hired and say, OK, this is this is how how the floor is constructed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know. Here's here's where all the uh, floor joists are in the mudroom. They are exactly 16 on centered, but doubled up in these in these stress areas that are going to be under the washer and dryer. So that no one has experiences like you've had as you pull off layers of poorly laid flooring. Right. Or, you know, or 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 things that have kind of been randomly put in or just kind of like, you know, patch jobs that were right for like fixing the problem right then and there, but weren't really like a real fix, right? Yeah. Um, weren't weren't a long lasting fix, you know, or weren't and weren't intended to be so, right? Um, whereas the work I'm doing, you know, this is an 1890 house. Um, I have no doubt in my mind that a hundred years from now, every single thing that I've done will be there just as good as it is today because I'm because <laughs> I'm doing it right. I'm doing it the way it should be done. So you're printing these books from a mm -hmm. uh, from a digital journal. Yes. Uh, you are you are printing hard copy books, which yes, it can seem like a novel idea, but you have opinions that go beyond just these books when it comes to uh, to digital versus paper. Yes, that is <laughs> that is um, digital is 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 uh, is not lasting. Um, and, and I could pull up countless examples of that countless of, of formats that are no longer, no longer supported and can't be read by anything. I dare you, uh, any longtime Mac user to go dig up an old Claris work file and try to open it with pages. Yes. Won't work. Will not work. Uh, we used to work with Apple works, um, but does not work with, uh, does not work with pages, right? Used to work with, uh, pages, uh, Oh nine, I believe, but does not work with the current version of pages. Right. Um, and so, uh, these digital formats that we save things in are finite about the only, the only one we can count on that will likely last far into the future. And that's largely because, well, pretty much the internet is built on it, uh, is, um, plain text. Yep. Um, you know, and so I suppose if you really want something to last digitally, if you're not using plain text, as far as I'm concerned, you don't care enough. I agree. 
Um, and so, um, but if you really even care more than that, if you care about the idea that, um, you know, that maybe you want something to last for a thousand years or 2000 years, or maybe even 10,000 years, well, 10,000 years, you probably want to, you know, save this stuff on like a cave wall. Somewhere. Right. Yeah. Carved <laughs> in stone. Carved in stone somewhere, right? But at least for a thousand years, you can guarantee um, with a high degree of certainty that paper properly preserved and properly stored will last that long. And we know this. We have we have evidence of this. Sure. And 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 what we do not have any evidence, uh, just because it hasn't been around as long, that digital will last as long. But what we know from from even recent experience is that it won't. Right. It can't. It's not designed to. So there's, like, to me, there's a delineation between, I, I can't think of anything I've written that I care to see in 100 years. Wow. And for really? me, <laughs> I, don't, I don't put a lot of stock in what I write. For me, most of what I write is spur of the moment, note-taking, things I want to remember for a, for a finite period of time. And it's sure. more important to me to be able to search and rapidly use that than it is to preserve it. So what's the what's the delineation for you between what is uh, truly useful in a digital format and what mm -hmm. should be preserved? Um, I guess for me, um, it's it's history. You know, it's, it's, it's things I write in my journal or in my in my daily log. I keep both, um, and uh, just for uh, so people understand, the journal is for thoughts and feelings. The daily log is for you know actions and things I did. Sure, right? Um, and so that's kind of how I delineate the two. And and sure, these things you you may not think are are valuable or important, but I don't know. It, you know, the way I look at it is that that's not for me for me to really decide. That's for whoever comes a hundred years from now to decide whether this was important to keep or not. I guess right? a lot of what historians dig up probably wasn't written with the intention of historians digging it up. Nope, not at all. And a, a good example of this is I um, happen to have um, uh, a copy of a letter. Um, that was written by my great, great uncle to my great, no, I'm sorry. My great, great uncle to my great grandfather, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, uh, and it basically says, uh, Hey Pat, by the way, uh, I am the sixth Patrick O'Meal Roan in the line. Um, uh, you know, and so he was Pat too. You know, hey, Pat, I know that you probably have heard some of this stuff in bits and pieces around family reunions and whatnot, but I thought it important to sit down and to write this in a letter to you and proceeds to tell the history of that line of my family going all the way back to to slavery to our arrival in bondage in this country i'm black by the way um uh, uh to to their present day 
and is absolutely fantastic and is rich with with detail and information. Um, my my great great uncle was a was a newspaper man. He was a journalist, and so he was a really really good writer and knew how to write things in a way that was uh, that was both descriptive and distinct. Or uh, and and uh, you know in in short, right? You could put put a lot of information to short amount of space because yeah. that's what he did for a job um and uh and so it's great but there are there are certain things in there that raise as many questions as they do um answers so he put down um in one case he was talking about relatives and and who gave birth to who and and uh you know, he was like, you know, and Mary was the was the father of John, Sally, Sue, Rick, and there are entire and, books of the Bible like that. Right, right. And Erastus. And blah 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 blah. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait what? <laughs> Erastus? Like, wait, you have all of these normal names. <laughs> and then there was a kid called Erastus? Like I want to know more about Erastus. But what he, he goes on to say, like, he goes on to explain what all of those people did. And then he gets to Erastus. And he's like, and I'm sure you know all about Erastus. <laughs> I was just like, uh, mother fricker. <laughs> How could you do that to me? Right? Because uh, he didn't think that was important, right? Because he figured, hey, Pat knows this. You know, I don't yeah. need to into the details about Erastus. He and Erastus are, are long time, you know, besides being cousins, they, they hang out all the time. They're good friends. They drink beers, the whole nine yards, right? But they, like, like you know, to him, that was not important, as it were. Yeah. Um, and and to, to me, it, it's extremely important. I want to know more. You know, I can't tell you how, how much, now luckily it's been yeah, it's fairly easy to dig up information about some black person with the first name Erastus. <laughs> yeah. So let's just you know throw that out there. So yeah, I haven't had necessarily any trouble finding out all about Erastus, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? It yeah. wasn't it, you know that that we we don't decide what's important. I will say I was I just got a new uh, a new gig. Uh, like a, a a jobby job, and I was looking for a uh, a birth certificate so that I could get through the background checks. And yeah. I stumbled. I didn't find the birth certificate, but I did find uh, a, a one of my good friends in the late nineties. Uh, we had gone through addiction and recovery and everything together. And he had sent me a picture. He was a photographer. He had sent me a picture along with a photocopied page from his personal journal that was just about a moment in time when I had shown up when when he when he really needed me and uh, how that made him feel and uh, it was like I had totally forgotten this ever happened but finding yeah. that page yeah it was it was deeply meaningful and yeah. I was really happy and I wouldn't I never would have had that if that was in a Facebook post or something it would be long gone right so exactly I, I, I see and the value yeah, and and I I think too, um, 
you know, this really changes as you get older, right? You know, I think when I was 20 or 30, I would have asked the same question. Like, what's like, what's the big, like, really, is that really important? But now that I'm 53, you know, and thinking a little bit differently about things and also looking back at my own legacy and also, you know, with houses and being married to somebody who is, you know, deeply involved in, 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 you know, historical preservation and things like that. I think a lot about this stuff. I think a whole lot about this stuff because I'm dealing with it every day. I'm dealing with it, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with it with the house. Every time I, I got a room, I'm just like, well, why did they do it that way? Sure. <laughs> like, there must have been a good reason because that is completely messed up. But <laughs> but maybe there's a good reason for doing it that way. I can't just assume that it was, you know, just stupidity, you know, that, that oh, oh, it's because of this or, or, oh, they couldn't do this. And so they had to do that. Right. Um, and so and so, yeah, I think I think that's part of it. Right. But, you know, we we. You know, we, what matters, you know, I, I think to me and to, and to us in general, if you you really care about this stuff, um, the, the main reason that you preserve it in a way that you can always kind of get to it and access it, um, is because, um, because it is everything else is just so fleeting and so unreliable and so uh, undependable, you know. I read this great uh, this this great hack where people were writing notes about room renovations on the back of switch plates. Oh yeah. So like the colors they use for the wall, why they chose yeah. you know certain types of flooring, and leaving it like in this place that in the future was very likely to be discovered even by themselves. That kind of, that kind of note-taking makes sense to me. Oh yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I'm, I'm, uh, uh, being very careful to put, um, uh, keep track of where the, uh, where the studs are, um, in a, in a wall. Um, and especially in any wall that I didn't build, because the it, because a lot of times in an old house, um, you know, st- uh, studs were not necessarily put in evenly. I.e., they, they're not twelve, or sixteen on center, or eighteen on center, or, or twelve on center, which is kind of standard depending upon depending upon what you're dealing with, right? Yeah. Um, and and so you can't just walk into an old, old home and assume that you can find the stud furthermore um because this they're not using drywall they weren't using screws because it's plaster on lath that lath was uh is nailed you know in with fairly small nails yeah um, and so even stud finders oftentimes don't work because you have this other layer of wall in the way of laugh in the way. And then you have plaster on top of that. So you can't even necessarily use a stud finder and guarantee you're going to, you're going to find a stud when you want to go to hang that heavy picture or, or hang that new cabinet. Um, and so what my plan is, is to, um, actually leave a discreet little mark, (laughs) um, uh, on the, 
uh, kind of hard to explain, but there will be a discrete mark between the countertop and the tile as to where the studs are in the kitchen. Nice. So, so you'll know. Nice. So I'm going to take our first sponsor break here. Okay. Are you carrying a credit card balance month after month? You're not the only one. High interest rates make it hard to pay off your debt, but Upstart can help. Join thousands of happy borrowers who made that final payment. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan, all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple fixed monthly payment. Unlike other lenders, Upstart looks at more than just your credit score, like your income and employment history. This means they can offer smarter rates with trusted partners. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans between $1,000 and $50,000. You can receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com systematic. That's upstart.com systematic. Don't forget to use my URL and let them know I sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. So just head to upstart.com slash systematic. <laughs> I do feel like there's a, uh, a poetic uh, transition to be made here from, uh, from home improvement into mental health. But uh, <laughs> last, time, last time we talked, was a, it was a rough year, 2016. Which, uh, in retrospect, actually seems a little quaint Uh, (laughs) to to consider that to consider that uh, the uh, the the low point in in our history. And we had both had some rough personal stuff and uh, some tragedy even. How how have things been since then? Is 2020 and 2021 uh, worse or better? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I don't know that it is an, an either or competition or anything like that. I, I would say it's just different, you know, um, that, yeah, it, 2016 was rough, not just because of, you know, what was going on politically and whatnot, but also just from a, um, you know, like you said, a personal standpoint, we, we both had a lot going on. Um, but you know, I especially had, you know, some really rough stuff going on. I'm not going to rehash it here. Um, if anyone wants to listen to that hour and a half uh, podcast that we did on that, I'm sure you'll link to it in the show notes or whatnot. Um, it's easy to find. Um, and, uh, be, be warned. It's, it's full of profanity and it is uh, really, really dark. Um, that's it. Um, you know, uh, all, all turned out as well as could be expected with, with that whole situation. So, I, I mean, uh, the, the, I'm not going to get into updating it. You know, 2020 has kind of been weird, right? Because not only have we been dealing with the pandemic, but, you know, you and I, Brett, living in, we both live in Minnesota. And, you know, as I'm sure the world, many listeners know, Minnesota has been going through some particularly rough times around uh, policing um, and the death of 
George Floyd, and now uh, many others, uh, and uh, the kind of social unrest uh, that has uh, caused around our our cities. And, you know, certainly it's not like, oh my God, it's all burning and it's chaos here or whatnot. But, you know, hey, there have been moments of that. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and you know that's been rough on top of all of the all the pandemic stuff and what's i think especially kind of rough for me and something i've been kind of grappling with the last several days is you know we should be feeling so much hope right and joy i mean i've gotten my two shots so I'm fully vaccinated. My wife has. Um, I don't know where you're at with it, but you know, people are out there. They're getting vaccinated. They're, you know, that that's hopeful. That's that's promising. You know, restaurants are opening up, and even though our numbers aren't perfect yet, you know, I mean, the number of the number of folks that are vaccinated is just increasing exponentially every single day. Um, and and uh, that should be good. Um, there was a guilty verdict in the uh, in the 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 Derek Chauvin uh, trial. Um, uh, three of them, three guilty verdicts. Yes, um, which you know we should be celebrating, and that's fantastic because he really did get what he deserved. Um, and you know, we even if even if you're you know pro police and Blue Lives Matter or whatever, um, that was one of your bad apples. And the reason that his fellow caps threw him so under the bus so quickly and so easily is because they hated him too. <laughs> like he has a long history of 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 being a bad guy. Um and so even if you support the police, you want guys like that gone, okay? And you want them to get what they deserve. Um so uh all of this is great, right? We should be feeling fantastic, but gosh, I'm not. I'm yeah. not. I'm still on edge. I still feel like just getting started every day is kind of a kind of a struggle. Um, and and quite frankly, having this real kind of physical work to do has been a blessing, has been a godsend because you know, unlike everything else, like there it's like, oh, this was broken, now it is not. Like it's a binary, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and you and you can point to it and you say, I did that. I fixed I fixed that. And I feel good about that, right? And and but you we can't do that with the pandemic. We can't do that with you know uh police targeting of of people of color, right? You know, we can't do that with with voting rights in Georgia. We can't do that with you know the slow pace of change that's happening you know elsewhere around the world like we can't you know we can't and so we still have this thing where you know uh, where and i, I want to talk about this there's a really fantastic article um in the uh, in the new york times um, that uh, I'll make sure to send to Brett so he can put it, the link to it in the show notes. But I'm sure it's good. it's one of those things I'm sure will go quote unquote viral, and that you'll see posted many other places. But it's it's this, and that is um, that 
there's actually a, a a mental health professional term that's been coined for this kind of feeling that many of us are having, where it's not actually quite depression, but it's certainly not like joy inhalation. You know, it feels like what we might kind of feel if we were starting to get depressed, but it's it's not that acute. It's not that it's not quite there. And that term is languishing. Yeah. And I really, I really like that because I feel that's where so many people are right now. So many people I know right now are are languishing, right? It's it's this this kind of blah. Yeah. This kind of not hope less, but less hope. Yeah, that 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 point where we should be feeling hopeful on paper. Yes. But we have this form of like almost PTSD. Yes. Or or just like or even just kind of that feeling that another shoe's got to drop. Yeah. Because we've just been hammered over and over and over again. And every hope that we keep, our hopes have been continually getting dashed. And so why is this one any different? Well, I mean, just to look at the examples you brought up, based on my conditioning, it's really easy for me to see that, uh, like the Derek Chauvin, like that was, um, it it, it was uh, accountability, but there, there wasn't justice. And it didn't, because they threw him under the bus so quickly, uh, it doesn't lead to any overall condemnation of the MPD. Uh, right. Our numbers are are going. Our our vaccine vaccine count is going up, but yeah. states are hitting a point where now they don't have enough people to use the vaccines because there's so much disinformation. Yeah. While our numbers at best are plateauing as far as new infections, like there is always another shoe, and we've really become accustomed to seeing that. Yeah, yeah, and. You know, and it just it it seems like there's so much more work to do, and that work seems insurmountable. Um, and you know, um, someone asked me yesterday, like when you know when I would kind of know and kind of start to feel that things were really changing. Uh, you know police wise. And I said, when I'm driving in traffic and this just happened to me on Tuesday and we're, we're recording this on a Thursday, um, where, you know, just regular traffic driving around, there's, there's a cop in back of me, right? Just a police car in back of me. Now, you know, just, you know, it's part of traffic. He's driving just like everyone else is driving. Right. Well, I don't ever have a police car in back of me without immediately tensing up, without immediately thinking, going through my head about all the things I could have done wrong, yeah. without immediately thinking in my head, like, are my taillights working? Is my license plate light working? Like, when was the last time I had that looked at? Do um, I have an air freshener hanging from my mirror? <laughs> right. Do I have an air freshener hanging from the mirror? Do I, you know, it, you know. And and if I do get pulled over, okay, where am I going to put my hands? Should I should I take my wallet out right away and like put it on the dashboard? Um, like before he starts walking up to the car, um, and then put my hands on the steer. Like I have to go through all of this 
every single time there's a cop behind me. Yeah. And this because I'm black. And I know from talking with friends of mine who are not black that they don't do that. But I do that. Yeah. Right. Um, so when will things start to feel like there's real change when I stop feeling that way? Yeah. And guess what? I'm probably not ever going to stop feeling that way. Right. Not not in this generation. Not not that change could come, but it it'll be slow. And even if everything changed right now, that kind of stress, especially in communities of color, is not going to just disappear when the when the problem itself goes away. No. And I've and I've written about this, right? Because I have no reason to feel like if anyone should feel um <clears throat> You know, I've, I've, I've mentioned this before. I've written a blog post about it and I've, I've, I've joked about it that like, I'm, I'm probably one of the few black people, you know, that experiences white privilege, <laughs> right? Because I am fairly light skinned, even though both my parents are black and all of my grandparents are black and all of my great grandparents are black. We, we are just, we're a light skinned folk that marry other light skinned folk. So we keep having light skinned folk. Um, and so, and so I happen to be, be light skinned. People look at me and they're not quite sure. Like, eh, I don't know. Are you black? Are you maybe, maybe you're, maybe you're Jewish. I've been, you know, maybe you're Lebanese or, or, uh, you know, I mean, and, and what's really hilarious is like, you know, Latino people who automatically assume I'm, I'm Latino and like Lebanese people who automatically assume I'm Lebanese. Right. Sure. <laughs> you know, and black folks that, you know, well, they assume I'm, I'm black or I'm mixed. Right. You know, the, yeah. the, because we have a lot of that here in Minnesota. Um, and they're just not sure what to make of me. And because of that, I, I've never just been pulled over by the police for, um, for lack of cause, like so many other darker skinned folks that I know have been and are regularly pulled over for lack of cause um, or with lack of cause. Um, uh, you know, and so I've never actually experienced that myself yet. Here I am yeah. with this, with, with, with these fears and these worries and these anxieties around it. Right. Um, because I know it could happen to me, right? Yeah. Uh, just, just because, because I do look other. You know, if anything, I do not look white. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> I look like anything but white. Um. So, um. And so, yeah. There's that. But the, you know, I think there's also, like I said, this kind of general sense of just like, gosh, without this, without this house to to work on, to, to just go and just, you know, pour my head into. Uh, into pounding four joists into place uh, and and you know making them level uh, without my my head into you know thinking about you know the the complexities of okay you know after we do this we've got to do the electrical and we have to do the electrical before we put in the floor and but once we put in the floor we have to we have to do the plumbing because we can't you know like you know it, it's 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 a you know, I'm, I'm playing general contractor. And so it's my job to keep all of the dependencies in my, in my head as we're, as we're moving along and to keep all these pieces moving. And I love getting lost in that stuff because sure. that's about the only thing that kind of gives me a sense of like, okay, I did something today. Right. Um, so you are, I believe president of the board. 
of yeah. Mental Health Minnesota. Tell me what Mental Health Minnesota is. Uh, Mental Health Minnesota is a nonprofit um, that engages in um, advocacy, um, policy, um, and uh, direct assistance uh, for those with uh, lived uh, mental illness uh, and and, uh, mental wellness experience. Um, One of our the main things that we that we do and operate. Kind of the three main things that are public facing are uh, number one, um, our online mental health uh, screenings, which have increased uh, about eleven hundred percent since the beginning of the pandemic. Wow. Um, uh, but if you go to uh, mental health minnesota dot org, um, you can. Uh, take uh, take a online mental health screening and it you know it's not meant to be medically it's not a diagnosis but it certainly will give you some indication that yeah you probably may want to get this looked at further or no you seem okay um, and we'll pro- at the end of it provide resources and next steps and things you can think about and do uh, from there Um kind of mainly meant for people living in Minnesota, but it also uh, is available and is accessed by many people outside of Minnesota. So that's not a problem. Um, uh, we also have a, a mental help health helpline and the helpline is really for folks that are looking for resources and, and also to kind of be the second, second step uh, after that screening. So you go through the screening and it says, yeah, you may want to get uh, looked at um, because you, you, you look like you could, you have some signs and symptoms of depression. Okay, great. Then, you know, what, what do I do next? Well, you know, you can call the helpline and the helpline will help you um, find those resources will help you maybe find a therapist or a psychiatrist or, you know, to kind of uh, take that on further. We'll help you connect you with uh, other resources that you may need or that may even be specific to your industry, right? That, that, you know, right now that we have a lot of resources for healthcare workers and first line, you know, frontline, you know, responders, right, um, that are specific to them. Um, there's a lot of those that are available and free um, that were not there before. So. That's kind of what the helpline does. But, um, and once again, um, you know, uh, calls to that and engagement with that has increased exponentially. Um, uh, but kind of one of my favorites and one of the key things we do is we operate what's called a warm line. Now, what a warm line is, is you, just like there's a suicide hotline for those that are really actively having suicidal thoughts. You call the suicide hotline, right? You you are act- actively having you know thoughts where you may you know harm or injure somebody else, and you're like you know there's hotlines for you to call, um, but there really isn't anything for somebody who is having a having a down day. You know, maybe you know they've been diagnosed with depression or, or or anxiety or or whatnot, and they are they're not having a crisis. They're not in crisis. They just they're having they're having a day where they need to talk to somebody, but they don't want to talk to their friends. They don't want to talk to their 
to their significant other. They, they really want to talk to somebody who gets it. They want it to be anonymous. Um, and, and they, they don't want someone who's just going to try to fix it for them. They just want to be heard. Well, that's what the warm line is for. And the warm line is staffed by, uh, by peer, uh, specialists, uh, folks that have lived mental illness experience that are mental illness survivors themselves who have been trained to assist others with mental illness and who are mental illness survivors. And so you really are talking on the other side of the phone to somebody who really kind of gets it. And I've called it right on. I have days when I wake up and, you know, I've got, I've got the piggyback guy on me as I like to call it. Um, you know, I have a post about that. Just Google my name and piggyback guy, you'll find it. Um, but you know, it's just like one of those days where I'm just, I woke up and I'm just feeling, feeling like it's all hard. It's all just really hard. And, and I need to talk to somebody. And I know if I talk to my wife, you know, she's going to, she's going to try to perk me up. And I, that's the last thing I need. I, you know, I, I know if I talk to a friend, it's not going to be the same, but, but, you know, I, I, you know, being able to call somebody anonymously and they don't know I'm, I'm, that they're talking to the president of the board of the organization. They, sure. I'm just, I'm just, you know, some anonymous schmo on the other end of the line who needs to, uh, you know, who, who just needs someone to talk to, 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 to listen to me and who gets it. Somebody who um, might be uh, languishing. Yeah. 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 And, and also, um, you know, the other nice thing is, is that if they sense that, Hey, this is, this is feeling a bit more than, than us. Like maybe you should be calling a hotline. Um, you know, let me transfer you, or maybe you should be, you know, looking, you know, uh, looking into some, you know, hospitalization or looking to talk to a psychiatrist or, you know, maybe it's a problem with your meds, you know, and maybe you should have that looked at, you know, th there you go. I mean, they're really, really well trained in all of that and, and have the resources and ability to get you to that help too. If they, if they are not the ones, if they identify themselves as, yeah, you need more. I just had this horrible, uh, the hair club for men guy. I'm, <laughs> okay. not, I'm not just the president of the board of the mental health, Minnesota. I'm also <laughs> a client. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. Right. Um, you know, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's a fantastic, fantastic, uh, thing and a service that really no one else is is providing uh in the state in the way that uh, in the way that we are um and i think um it's it's there is such a need for it and we've just god that's exploded too um if you think the the explosion of the helpline and the online screenings is is something you should see what's going on with our warm line and the number of operators we've had to add to support that. Um, uh, but but yeah, um, it's it's really needed right now. Yeah. I think especially because there's a lot of people who are who are languishing, and a lot of those people don't necessarily have lived experience with mental illness. That this is all new to them. And, and they don't know what to call it, and they don't have a name to put on it. And the, you know, the the best way to to uh, 
have power over your demons is to is to have a name for them. So I think uh, that article does a good job towards giving a name and making you understand that mental wellness is is a spectrum. It's not a binary. You're it's not I'm either happy or I'm depressed. I, I'm either um uh I'm either anxious or I'm manic, right? You know, it's, right. it's not like, you know, uh, you know, it's not that kind of binary. It's, it's, it is a spectrum and everybody is somewhere on that line. Yeah. Everybody is somewhere you're, you're, you're along that spectrum somewhere. Um, and so it's, it's just a question of, of identifying where you are on that spectrum so that then you can do what's needed to be done to either a get to a better place b maintain where you are because where you are is just it's just honky dory and fine or or you know c um you know get the help that you need to be able to kind of you know make it from hour to hour day to day week to week yeah well that sounds like a fantastic resource i uh I, I I always feel awkward going from mental health discussions into sponsor reads, <laughs> but it has to be done. It it does. We got to pay the bills. Have to be paid. Yeah. Thanks to PDF Pen for sponsoring Systematic this week. PDF Pen is truly the ultimate tool for everything you need to do with PDFs. Does your current PDF editor allow you to secure documents, perform OCR, fill out and sign forms, do all of this on the go and at low cost? PDF Pen does. PDF Pen is the all-purpose PDF editor that allows you to improve your workflow and productivity, add signatures, text, and images, make changes and correct typos, and everything else you need to do with PDF. And the ultimate tool for editing PDFs on the Mac now includes even more powerful features, including page label support and multiple formats for documents. And pro users can go a step further with the ability to add or edit page labels. That's in addition to the great features available in PDF Pen 12, including a magnifier window to zoom in on a document, customizable compression settings, and stationary with new paper colors for custom page designs. PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro work with PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone for seamless editing across devices with cloud services such as iCloud, Dropbox, Google Drive, OneDrive, and more. Learn more about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro at pdfpen.com slash podcast. All right. Well, that brings us to our top three picks. Um, yeah. I Since the last time you've been on, I have stopped doing my own top three picks because there are only so many things in the world that, that I can truly love. <laughs> and after a couple hundred episodes, I've run out. There's, there's not enough new new. Huh? But I'm excited to hear what you've got for me. Okay. All right. Well, um, so uh, we were talking a little bit about this before we started recording the show today, but um, but I've I've joined the the, the cool kids club um, and gotten uh, uh, one of these uh, clickety keyboards that uh, that all the all the nerds uh, seem to uh, like. Um, uh, I kind of uh, reached out on the on the Twitter um, and you know said hey. I might be interested in, in one of these clicky keyboards. What do people recommend? Um, and I got a lot of recommendations back for this particular clickety keyboard, but it just so happens that uh, an online acquaintance uh, said, hey, if you're, if, if you're looking at one of those clickety keyboards, 
I, I've got one here, and if you want it, I'll, I'd be willing to let go of it. Uh, it's unused, and it's just not my jam. And and you know, so yeah, so I I got one of those clicky keyboards. Uh, this is the uh, Keychron uh, K2, um, and it's got the brown uh, MX uh, switches in it. Um, for those uh, nerds that care, <laughs> and nerds really, really, really care about this stuff. I we do. Oh my gosh. Um, you know, and, uh, there are, there are opinions, uh, but, uh, I, I like the Brown. The Brown has uh, just enough clickiness and feedback with, and, and noise without it being too annoying. Um, it's not and, like they're blue or anything. Well, you know, blue or like, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, you'd, you'd, you'd rather, uh, eat nails. Than you know what, blue. you know what I'm into now is the box white. I had never heard of box white until recently. Wait, wait, box white? Yeah, instead of like the standard MX switch, they're box switches. Okay. You'll have to look it up next uh, time you get nerdy about it. But anyway, please continue. Okay. All right. Well, you know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still got the training wheels on, you know, and, and, and our little chat back and forth before the program, uh, Brett can tell you, uh, it is, it is typo city around here, but that's okay. Uh, I'm, I'm getting used to it. Cause the other thing about it is that I'm not a, uh, I'm not a typist typist. I never took a typing class. Um, in high school, in my life, in fact, uh, I'm just I'm a really fast hunt and pecker. I'm a <laughs> I'm a two finger typist, um, and I'm a no look hunt and pe- pecker too now. So my typos are not necessarily um, it, it's 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 depth and travel, right? Related more so than it is clickety keyboard related. Uh, yeah. Because I've gotten so used to the depth and travel of, say, uh, the uh, Apple keyboard I was using before, which has really shallow keys, as you know, and thus and 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 wider travel um, or different travel. So I, you know, it's it's that. All right. So Keychron K2. I, I got the one with the all white uh, LEDs, but they also make one with like jumpy color LEDs. Right. Uh, Whatever, whatever suits your fancy, they, they can make it, apparently. So I'm testing out the version 2 of the Ultimate Hacking Keyboard right now, and it came with RGB lighting. And yeah. I've never cared about RGB lighting. I still don't, really. Like, I yeah. would never intentionally buy a keyboard. But the way that this keyboard works, like, there's no function key row. There's no number pad. Every It's like, a, I think it would be considered like a 70%, 60-something percent keyboard. Yeah. And you hold down modifier keys and it changes the behavior like right. to get an arrow key. I hold down the mod key. And with this RGB lighting setup, the way it is, when I hold down a modifier key, it highlights the keys that are affected by that layer, which oh, is actually pretty cool. That's really cool. That's yeah. really neat. That's a I mean, useful, think, useful use for RGB backlighting. Right, right. Because normally as it is, like it is on this keyboard, even just the plain white, cycling through those options is like, well, you can have it just straight on all the time or straight off all the time, or it can do this wave pattern every time you <laughs> type, or it can highlight each key individually as you type, or it can do this woo up and down sort of like, and or it can blink. It's like, no, I just want, <laughs> I just I, uh, can I just get a backlight like I have on my MacBook Air? Like, can I just do that? <laughs> and things yet, nobody is asking for, yeah. Right, you you can do that too, but <laughs> in any case. Uh, so that, that's that's uh, pick one. 
All right. Um, pick two. Um, uh, uh, Ugmonk, uh, U-G-M-O-N-K. Uh, Jeff is the uh, is the founder and uh, proprietor uh, there, and uh, originally started off making uh, these kind of uh, cool T-shirts that were. Uh, that were popular amongst the hipster crowd, but has grown into uh, more and more things. Uh, recently had a successful Kickstarter, and those have all been shipped out. And so now uh, they're available on his store for uh, this new uh, productivity system with product um, called Analog. And uh, what Analog is, is it's a productivity system that's based on 3 by 5 cards. Um, and he has these nice analog cards to go with this really nice holder that he has. And the holder like is really cool and kind of part of the system in that, you know, you have like a today card and like a, a tomorrow card and then like a, a, a someday card. And there's a little card holder slot built into the card holder storage thing where you can have this card kind of standing up in front of mind. Now I've used three by five cards for my productivity system, uh, along with the dash plus system that I developed years and years ago, I think back in like 2006, um, uh, for my, for my stuff for a long time. Um, and with the Kickstarter, you could only get like, the cards, his index cards with the holders, and kind of had his system kind of baked into those into the printing on the cards, which is great and it's fantastic. Except for, I'm kind of picky about the index cards that I use for my system. Um, I won't get into the history, but like I'm so picky about it that when these cards were about to uh, stop being made, which they were, um, I bought out. The remaining stock <laughs> cards, so that I have enough to last me for a very, very long time to come. At least, I would guess about ten years. Um, and so, uh, and so, I, I was like, you know, I, I don't, I don't need the cards. I'm happy with my three by five cards. Well, what's nice about now that they're available on the Ugmonk shop versus the Kickstarter is that you can get the card holder thing all by itself, which I did. Um, and I love, and I think it's fantastic. And I just use it with my own three by five cards. So I think that's, that's what I like about it too, is that you don't have to buy into the system to get the nice card holder thing that you can get the nice card holder thing separately and use your own damn index cards. If you want. That's uh, I, uh, the first, my last guest was Aaron Mankey, who's been on a few times before. Oh, but oh, oh, okay. Well, then I guess I, I, I guess we can bring up what cards I'm talking about. <laughs> are are yours the frictionless cards too? Of course, of course they are. I still use those myself. I bought a ton of them back in the day. Three by yeah. five cards are like I've never done well with uh, moleskin notebooks or or other like bullet journals and stuff, but. Yeah, my three by five cards. I have I have all these different ways of storing them and holding yep. them. Yep. I have little uh, little safe looking things for like locking them away, <laughs> hoarding them. Yeah, um, I yeah. do. I, I do. I do appreciate them, and I always like those frictionless cards. And I yeah. I, I dig this. Uh, I dig this holder. I, I when when I you know before Aaron became famous and you know when when he was uh, closing down that business because he was becoming famous um i i i re i said i will buy every last one you have you're willing to sell just just 
I don't send just tell me a number and I'll pay it. Yep. <laughs> and that's what I <laughs> so yep. that's uh interesting <laughs> interesting synchronicity there. Yes, very interesting synchronicity. Um and so yeah, I'm 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 a big fan of those cards and if you can't get them anymore, uh I'm part of the reason why. Um <laughs> so uh so yeah, that's that was uh that was pick number 2. Um pick number 3 um is actually um I'm reading this really fantastic book right now. Um, and it's actually not one book, it's three books. Um, uh, it was a trilogy, uh, released as a trilogy originally. Um, but it's been, um, that trilogy has been, you know, combined into a, into a new, a new, beautiful new volume of the three books altogether. Um, and it's, uh, area X, uh, the Southern Reach trilogy uh, uh, by Jeff Vandermeer, um, and I can't really talk too much about it without giving it away. But because it's three books, it's rather thick, it's rather big. One of my reading goals for this year, which I post up on my blog at the beginning of every year, usually on January first every year, say, okay, "Here's my reading plan for the year," um, because I'm a really slow reader, and I I if I have a plan, if I have kind of some constraints, um, it helps me narrow my choices down um, because we have a lot of books, um, a lot of books. Um, uh, my wife is a, is, is a, she, she's an amazingly fast reader and she is a voracious reader. She reads easily 75, 80 books a year. Um, um, and, but this one is just, it's so much fun. And even though I'm a slow reader and even though it's a great big book, I'm just kind of plowing through it. I'm picking it up whenever I have a free moment. Um, it is that kind of, um, uh, that kind of pastime. Uh, and it's, it's definitely kind of a sci-fi-ish sort of thriller sort of book. Um, essentially, uh, a, a, a large uh, section of the coastal United States um, has been uh, cordoned off uh, because of, well, what the government is telling uh, the people um, is, you know, some variation of natural disaster, contamination, that sort of thing. But in fact, is something that they don't even know what the heck is going on there. And this is really all about the, the, the various teams and people that they have been sending in to try to figure out what's going on there. Um, and that's as much as I'll say about it. Um, get it. It's fantastic. The cover is beautiful. This is one of those books that you will be proud to have and display on your shelf. You know what I got really into in 2020 and explored was uh, black female sci-fi authors. Oh, yeah. Octavia Butler and, and Nettie Okorafor and N.K. Yeah. Jemison. And I yeah. read so much Black female yeah. sci-fi, and it was there was some great stuff. I oh, have, some fantastic stuff. Have you read Nettie uh, Okorafor? Yes, the Binti trilogy and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yes, very very good. Um, it, well, and well, so uh, my goal last year was um, that I never, I didn't. What's interesting at the beginning of the year, I tried. I said I'm not going to tell you what my goal is. 
I'm going to see if you can fit. I have one. I'm going to see if anyone can figure it out along the way. Cause I, um, post uh, at patrickrone.net um, slash reading. Um, I have every book I've read since 2012 with a short review. And, uh, and so last year was, I didn't read any white male authors. <laughs> it was only people of color uh, by trans, you know, women, yeah. you, you get what I'm saying, yeah, right? Um, totally. Yeah, it, it, it was, it was, you know, it was BIPOC, LGBT, um, you know, female, um, and it was specifically uh, about avoiding uh, uh, white men. Nothing against white men. I love white men. Um, some of my just, best friends are white men. Some, some of my best friends are, are, in fact, white men. I'm talking to a white man right now. <laughs> um, so, so that proves I know at least one. Um, and, uh, you know, my bookshelves are filled with, with, uh, with these white men. Uh, so that tells you that I'm not adverse to reading, uh, white men. I just thought, Hey, this would be an interesting experience, uh, experiment for a reading goal for a year, just to kind of see, you know, how difficult or easy it was, uh, to do. And, and honestly, there were a ton of books, a ton. So here's the problem. You make a goal like that. And then, like, some of your favorite white male authors start releasing, like, great books that you want to read. And you're like, oh, <laughs> no, no. Uh, you know, uh, Neil Stevenson came out with a book yes. last year, uh, you know, that I still I want to read this year because yep. it's about big books. You know, um, my friend Kelly McCullough came out with, you know, had a book last year that I had to put aside in this part of a series that, that, uh, that I adore. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, so many, so many great books. You know, what I, tempted me back to white man fiction mm-hmm. was this nostalgia for William Gibson, uh, Neuromancer, Mona Lisa Overdrive. Yeah. So I've, I'm almost back through neuromancer right now and it feels weird to be back on the white guy train yeah but but how is it revisiting that because i imagine when you first read it you probably read it like you know when you were a punk teenager like me yeah yeah it i I love it It, like he he was so prescient about i mean this is the guy who coined the term cyberspace yeah. Like he knew this stuff was coming and yeah. and I've read all of his work since then but going back and reading Neuromancer is it's a trip. It Yeah, I, yeah. It's a definite uh it, I have a different appreciation now than I did back in the early 90s when the internet was just just a a baby of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. It's always interesting um uh, that actually was going to be one of my you know, reading goals will be for a future year is, you know, going back through and reading all of those books, rereading all those books that I loved as a teenager and seeing how I feel about them now. Snow Crash, I bet I should revisit Snow Crash. Oh, yeah. I'm almost afraid to reread Snow Crash. (laughs) Uh, No, seriously, because I'm I'm afraid I won't like it as much. Oh man. Cause, Cause I loved that book. Oh my God. Yeah, I love that book. Um, you know, uh, I, I mean, in the, in the even self-helpy stuff, right. I'm looking, I'm just turning around here at my desk cause I've got, uh, I've got a large bookshelf behind me and, um, uh, you know, the road less traveled. 
I read The Road Less Traveled uh, as as a as a teenager, and I I it like I remember just having an obsession with that book for a good six months to a year, and it's like would I still have that now? Sure. You know, so it doesn't have to be like sci fi fiction. You know, a lot of it's like self helpy stuff that, like, as a teenager, I like I was like, oh, this guy's really onto something. It's like, would I feel <laughs> that way now? I don't. I feel like the self helpy stuff probably has a greater chance of of ringing differently in your adult life than some of the like the sci fi stuff is easy to wax nostalgic about and still appreciate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right about that. I think the I I, th- I think the kind of nonfiction and the self helpy stuff uh, uh, probably. Uh, well, but there's there is still stuff with like just fantastic advice. Uh, your your money or your life. I'm looking back at, at another one. Uh, uh, like completely changed the way I looked at at money and how I dealt with it. And like was the first book to really have me understand like having a long term um, understanding of of uh, of investment and money and savings and all of that stuff and all of that practical advice I kind of flipped through it the other day because I was thinking about uh, would this be a good good book for my daughter Beatrix who's 13 um, you know who has a problem uh, well you know you put a 20 in her hand and it almost disappears immediately into uh, someone else's hands I know exactly <laughs> um, how that works. Yeah, and and since and so you know, I was like, you know, oh, I wonder, I wonder what she, how she would take this at this age, right? So, yeah, it's it's things like that. So I think there is much to be said about uh, about going back and revisiting some of those things and seeing if you still have the same feelings, uh, seeing if you have different feelings. I'm a big fan of rereading books. That uh, that third pick of yours turned into like seven links in the show notes. So, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, well done, well done. Um, so let's recap. We've we've mentioned a bunch of places people can find you. Uh, if you were going to put two or three at the top of the list, where would you say people should look you up? All right. Well, um, PatrickRone.net uh, is my kind of main blog. Um, I blog there daily. Um, uh, what is interesting about that blog is that it is kind of my social blog. In other words, uh, I will have very short, less than 280 character posts there. Um, uh, I use it like I might use Twitter. Um, and I rarely post to Twitter. Um, and, and so if you're looking for, Hey, what's going on with Patrick? I haven't seen anything from him for a while. And you're on Twitter or Facebook, which I almost don't ever engage with at all. Um, I avoid it like the plague. Um, but I keep an account there for, I don't know. I don't know why I do to be honest with you. Cause my wife makes me mainly, um, uh, so yeah, uh, that's where you can find me, including like, you know, it's it's a it's a place worth a daily visit, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I'm not saying that for my numbers because I don't even look at my numbers. I don't care about stats. Um, but you know, that's where people come if they want to see what's going on with me. Woe to Wow um, is the home improvement blog. I'm also posting there 
very, very regularly because everything is like, like right when I get off this call, I'm going to have to run and get wood. And you have no idea how much time I spend thinking about wood these days. Um, and, and the, and the price of wood and the cost of wood, which is just insane right now. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I gotta, I gotta go get some wood, uh, but woe to wow. Um, and you know, if you go to patrickrone.com, that will lead you to other things. It will lead you to where my Twitter is. It will lead you to, you know, my books. Um, if you're interested in, in, in that sort of thing, it will, you know, uh, it, it pretty much is kind of the business card to everywhere else I am. So, uh, so that's kind of a good one-stop shop. All right. Excellent. Well, thanks for your time today. It was, uh, it was a, a wide ranging and, and in-depth conversation. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Brett. You know, I, I, I love you, man. And, uh, I, I really think the world of you and I really appreciate you having me on. Um, and you know, I, I look forward to seeing you and per- I mean, we don't live that far away. <laughs> we really don't. So, so we, we, but because we're introverts, we never actually see each other in person. Even before uh, the pandemic. Even before the pandemic. So I would very much like to change that. Yes, we should. Uh, we should get together. All right. All right. And thanks everyone for tuning in this week. We'll see you in a week. <laughs>